gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back. It's another week, another episode of Cincy Brewcast, trying desperately to make Cincy Brewcast sound like it always does, even though it is definitely not like it always is. I'm once again holed up in the basement, uh, holed up in the underground confines of the Gnarly Gnome Tavern, um, socially distancing. (laughs) I have a computer screen in front of me and I'm pretending like we're face to face having a beer together. It's, I, I keep thinking that at some point this will just feel like it's normal and it's okay, but it, it doesn't, and it still feels really strange and awkward to me. Um, <laughs> Brett Coleman Baker, welcome back to the show. It's been a little while. It has. We Thanks had, for having me. We had a really exciting show scheduled, and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we'll still get to talk about that project here soon. Um, yeah, I don't see why we can't. Um, I have not gotten to try it yet, though. Um, I will tell you what, though, what I have gotten to try, which is what we should probably talk about first. From the beer fridge. One of, if not my favorite uh, normal release beer that you guys do, not counting the uh, the dinosaur stuff. Squeeze box. Oh, Freaking yeah. love this stuff. Um, <laughs> when uh, I walked in the house after... Get it well. I walked in from the porch from getting my delivery of this beer because that's a thing now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I put them on the counter, and my three year old walked up to the uh, the beer and was looking at them. And she saw the double the squeeze box, which has very prominent strawberries on the label. And she flipped their shit and she's like, Daddy, that's a strawberry beer, straw because she loves strawberries. So, this is now her favorite beer, too, <laughs> just because it has strawberries in it. Uh, you got to hook them when they're young, right? Uh, exactly. So, pull a book out of big tobacco. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Midwest fruit tarts. I don't know if we really dove into the style that you guys, uh, you didn't create the style, but you definitely defined the style and put a name to it. And um, especially here in Cincinnati did kind of create what that means and what, what it is. How did that all come about? How did you guys, you know, maybe the, just the idea of using all of this fruit, how did this happen? So the first Midwest fruit tart was the gadget. And basically what happened was, is every other week we do bartender training. And part of that is I like to go over and meet with the bartenders and talk to them about beer. And we do a little bit of beer learning and all that fun stuff. But towards the end, I like to open it up to like, what are you hearing from the customers or what things can we do be be doing better or or like what are people complaining about or just you know trying to get a pulse of the situation and the thing that came up for a couple weeks in a row was that people would come in and ask for just the most sour and then the most fruity like that was a constant so at that point tom we were like well reasonable fruiting levels like if you look at jackie o's raz wheats like 0.75 0.75 pounds per gallon of beer, uh, of fruit for beer, which is a lot. Uh, we're like, well, if they're doing that and people want all the fruit and all the sour, well, let's just ramp that up. What is the most we can put in beer and still make beer and still sell it for, and not an unreasonable amount of money. Uh, and then that's how we got to the gadget, which is, it's like 2.75 pounds per gallon of fruit. So almost three times what like what Razweet, well, which was our original baseline was. Uh, and we just made it as sour as we could get it while still being palatable. At the end of the day, like, you know, I don't like crushing beers that make your teeth feel like they're getting fuzzy, you know? Right. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had like three Floyd's skull hole, but that just, <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> that beer just messed me up in a bad way. <laughs> and I've just been off of that over acidic beer. Um, so that's kind of where it came from. And then at that point in time, it was, what do we name it? How do we call this? What does it fit in to the greater picture that is beer currently? And then things got weird like a year ago, two years ago with these slushies and this unfermented fruit shit. Yeah. And now all of a sudden there's this, just this whole weird chasm of like everything we do is fermented out and dry and aiming for drinkability. And then on the other end, you have these slushy style beers that are basically fruit juice mixed with beer. Uh, not, and then not basically, the <laughs> as we've seen, literally. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Uh, and then in the middle, you have like New Glarus. So like they're serendipity or Belgian red, 
or their strawberry rhubarb. I, I'm sure you've had those before, mm-hmm. at least one of them. Those are really sweet beers too. And they're just doing, they're doing a similar thing, except they're adding clarified juice and pasteurizing and making a shelf stable, great product, but it is definitely on the sweeter end and they definitely don't ferment out all those fruit flavors, which is why it's so fresh fruit tasting. But then, you know, you go a step further for like what 450 North is doing and some of these other breweries and even us with our parfait program, you literally just take fruit puree, whole fruit puree and just dump it into the keg and mix the beer into it. And then you get this not shelf stable product that's thick and goopy and has a bunch of pulp in it. And it's this weird, I don't know, I guess it's natural progression. I don't know. It's progression is when you say natural progression, it almost, it, 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 upsets me because I don't feel like this is a progression from beer. I feel like it's an offshoot, a branch maybe from this thing that is beer. It's, you know, beer drinkers trying to experiment. I think there's a lot of people that are getting into wine now that wouldn't have otherwise that beer has gotten them into that. Not that wine is a natural progression from beer. It's just a, it's a branch from that path to um, drinking everything that you can possibly put in your mouth. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the, um, I like all of the stuff that's happening. I I've even had some of the, uh, the four fifty stuff that, you know, I don't know what the ABV is on it and I don't know if it's going to blow up on my, in my trunk on the way back from wherever I got it, but, um, it's good, but it's a very different type of product than, um, whatever else I might be drinking. <laughs> and I think these Midwest fruit tarts are extremely different too, from anything else I've had, before they came out even some of the other stuff that when you guys you guys wrote a really great blog post about the style when you invented it (laughs) and then named some other beers that kind of fit into that category and even some of that stuff that you talked about in there is very different than what you guys have ended up with today and it's it's really has created its own category that you see other places now trying to kind of uh, replicate a little bit and knowing that people love them so much um you guys well, keep go ahead. I, so I've kind of tried to like rationalize in my mind. How does this, where does this unfermented fruit juice thing fit in to beer as a whole? And I guess I don't know enough about the history of like Rattlers, for instance, mm-hmm. but were Rattlers like huge at one point in time. Cause I mean, at this point in time, what's the difference between a Rattler and what, 450 or anyone else is doing with these beers you're adding <laughs> i would say that a rattler when you know when they were popular if they still are i don't know but you know from what i've always read they became popular in germany as something you would sit or in you know europe or you would sit in the beer garden you're drinking something all day you want something low abv refreshing and that's kind of how they became popular i would say that's very different than what 450 is doing but as we've seen i don't know that <laughs> I mean, they're both low ABV. They're both high <laughs> sugar. They're both meant to be refreshing. I don't know. I don't. Is it just th- a rattler? I don't think that beer drinkers are flocking to these slushy beers or whatever you want to call them because they are low ABV and they're refreshing, and that's you want to sit in the sun and, and pound them. I feel like it's a different type of thing that's driving them. I don't know what that thing is necessarily. I don't know if it's just the hype itself behind some of these things, the rarity of it, if that's a thing still, um, or if it's the fact that it's fruity and people like sweet things. It might just be that simple. People do love sugar. It's, uh, you know, there's, there was a, a, a large, and maybe it's still around with the seltzer thing and everything, but there was a push for people to try to create products that appealed to non-beer drinkers. And maybe this fruited slushy thing is that. Maybe that's where it ended up. I don't know. Or maybe it ended up with seltzer. I don't know. You know, I mean, that's a good point. And like, if you look at the wine world, the majority of wines that are drank are sugary garbage. And like, uh, maybe, maybe it's in that vein. Maybe it's the appealing to the non, like, just like those sugary wines appeal to the non wine drinker, I guess they're technically drinking wine, but like you're going for the more beginner palate, so to speak. Like maybe that's the, maybe that's the corollary. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is the, the, not your father's root beer of, of beer. Yeah. It, um, it'll be curious to see. And I, and I'm sure that somebody has kind of tried to figure it out, but the people that are drinking, 
those? Are they people who are just getting into craft beer and that's right where they're going is into this as they taste it? Or is it people who have been drinking craft beer for a long time and maybe have a more, uh, I hate to call it a developed palate because I feel like that's kind of douchey to say, but have more of a, a, a palate for other styles of beer that then find this and be like, oh, I really like this. It's like, I, I have a hard time believing that if you loved or love uh, big, giant, triple IPAs or, you know, some of these these really fantastic, nuanced, um, you know, Lambics or, you know, Belgian Sours, that then the progression from that is a slushy beer. I just, I, I can't, well, and, and maybe I'm wrong on that too. I mean, the idea of putting fruit in, in a beer is not absurd when you start talking about some of those Belgian styles either. I think there is a very good reason that you don't see that style of beer on the national scale. It is like a large hype drawing attention getting thing, but like 450 North and, and these other breweries doing these things like that, like 903 and Drecker and in the Vale and answer or whoever's doing these, you know, over fruited juice beers, they're not making quantity of it. It's not going to Kroger. It's not outselling or even making a blip on any national data. So maybe it is literally just this weird insular thing that much like, I don't know, it's almost like beer astroturfing in a way. (laughs) It seems bigger than it actually is. I'm so what is, is it cost prohibitive to do though on a large scale for if a, if a large brewery wanted to make a slushy beer like that? Could they do it and make it make sense for them? I think you can, because uh, you can get cheap. I mean, you could just go. You could get Depending juices. On what fruit it is? You don't need purees, so you can get juices, and you can get juice for fifty cents a pound. I mean, that's that's malt level pricing. So at that point in time, you brew a six percent beer with the cheapest grain you can get, and you ferment it out, and then you blend it down, and you pasteurize it, and you put it in a can, and you're good to go. Like, I don't see why you couldn't do that. We do see the popularity with stuff like Blue Moon or the, the Limeritas or stuff like that that is like this fruited thing. Limerita, yes. But it's it's still not in that same category as some of the slushy stuff. But um, those are cool. popular. People do really like that for some reason. Um, so maybe, maybe if a large brewery decided to make a slushy beer, maybe they know about it. Maybe they just don't even know it exists. But um, if they decided to, I, I could see it being popular. I could see it becoming a mainstream thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it would be more of a, a flash in the pan, like Not Your Father's was, where it got really big for a couple of years and then kind of faded into this low-level obscurity. Or if it'd be like, and I don't think it'd be like seltzers, though, either. I think it's there's probably a middle ground. Uh there's some people on our team who still think seltzers might just disappear in another year or two, but man, seltzers are here to stay forever. (laughs) I'm curious to see what the sale of seltzers has done now that people aren't drinking in bars and aren't drinking on, you know, around the pool with their friends or so. I'm really curious to see if that has taken more of a hit than beer has. Cause to me, the thing about seltzer is everybody standing in a bar with those cans and like this, this weird other thing. I, I, I don't think people are sitting around at home on their couch, watching TV, drinking them. Maybe I'm wrong though. <laughs> I just can't for the life of me figure that out. I mean, the, their numbers for off premise are up. So like up hundreds of percent still like at, through March, they're up like 300% year over year. So like they're someone's buying them. It's crazy. Uh, it's it's absolutely like, I feel like every person that I know that is a craft beer fan is drinking them and just not telling each other. Like that's the only explanation <laughs> for what's happening. <laughs> that's absolutely what's happening. <laughs> Um, before, well, while I finish this beer and before I dive into my next one, uh, I guess we have to talk about the, uh, the large elephant shaped virus in the room. Um, coronavirus, you guys, as I'm sure everybody got hit with this pretty hard. Um, how have you guys, how have you managed that? How have you adapted? What have you guys done to kind of deal with this? So... By the time mid to late February was rolling around, it was becoming pretty obvious that things were going to happen in the United States. So it was at that point in time, 
we started looking into an online store and what that entailed. Um, I know at the beginning of the year, BrewDog rolled out their online store. So they were ahead of the curve by like three months. Um, so we were looking into it and we were starting to build the framework for such an event. And then it hit on a Sunday night that things, restaurants were getting shut down. And then on another Sunday night, it hit again that we stay at home order was put in place. But luckily for us, we were, we saw this coming to an, enough of a degree. We we're able to get ahead of it. And yes, we had to furlough all of our bar staff and we had to furlough one third of our brewing staff. Um, just because cash flows, we lost 40% of our business overnight on premise was 40% of our sales. So all of that just gone. So we had to get cut basically 40% of our costs, um, which we were able to do. And then we were able to get the online store launched within a week of the stay at home order uh, going into place. And that's really just been a, a godsend for us. And uh, I guess I shouldn't say godsend, but a pre well-prepared plan that went into action that did as re- doing really well. Um, but even even with that, you guys you guys have managed to find the states where you're able to ship beer and have mm-hmm. started adding those the list. I wish I had written it up so that I had it in front of me because it's I mean, how many states are you up to now that you can ship to? Do you know off the top of your head? Eleven. Like uh, that's impressive too. Well, that, that was the the first one was big thanks to Betty. So we were working on the back end stuff, but we didn't really know the legalities of it all. But right when this hit the first uh, shutting down restaurants and stuff. Betty Bullis contacted the Ohio uh, Liquor Control Board and got clarification on our manufacturing license and ability to ship direct to customers. So before even other states were even looking into it, Betty got that information and shared it publicly with everybody in the Ohio Craft Brewers Association, uh, our trade guild for the state. And she shared all that information and put it out there that you, any brewery in Ohio with an A1 manufacturing license, which they all have, can direct ship to consumers or deliver to consumers. So, like, the info was out there. We were just prepared to get on top of it. And then with the other states thing, I just looked at what other – I mean, this sounds, like, way less cool than it is. I just looked at, like, <laughs> other what other breweries were doing, <laughs> other ones that already had it, like BrewDog. They were delivering to 11 states. So I called up BrewDog. I was like, hey – you guys are going to 11 states. How did you figure those 11 states out? What other states are good, if any? And they're like, oh, we went to these because these are the only ones that allow it. All the other states don't. Here's uh, the person in charge of it. Her name's Jenny Lane. And then she helped us out a little bit too. And then we just called these states up and did our paperwork. And that, uh, you know, it, it all of them would have launched at the same time if we could have, but like some states are just slower than other states. So as states gave us approval uh, with permitting, we, we've been launching them and, um, it gets a little dicey when you start talking about wine versus beer because wine you can do like 37 states beer is only 11 uh so there's a couple breweries in north carolina i won't say which ones <laughs> but they're delivering to 37 states uh-huh. that is not legal but uh after conversing with them the their decision making process was well it's the pandemic and anything goes and i'm be- i'm willing to bet we'll get forgiveness <laughs> In the end, so which is probably uh, true, <laughs> it is, but it's totally fucked. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I've seen people kind of pushing that line on, um, either because of ignorance and not knowing what they're doing, or desperation, or whatever it may be. People are pushing those limits and just trying to, uh, trying to keep existing. I think it's it is 100% out of fear and out of uh desperation too. So it's, it's hard for me to fault some of these places. Some of them may not need to, but, um, good, good, good points. I mean, what do you think is going to happen with the on-premise cake sale market? Once this opens back up, like cakes are going to be so cheap. There's so many out there. There's going to be a lot of bad beer though, too. That's what not, not bad beer, but bad, uh, bad, badly handled beer. (laughs) Like it's the the beer itself was good. (laughs) There's going to be dirty tap lines. There's going to be old kegs. There's uh, going to, yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be a nightmare for a really long time trying to find our way out of this. Um, and how, how do you, how do you navigate that is our next big thing is like, okay, the cake market probably is going to bottom out because there's going to be so many breweries who don't want to do the right thing and are going to sell their beer that's out of code for cheaper than they should, which means that us as a brewery who have, has a very staunch, 
no discounting our beer policy ever. Right. Uh, how do we compete with that? How, how's our on-premise going to get back to anywhere close to where it was if breweries are out here undercutting like crazy? And these bar owners are going to be worried too because they're going to be like, there's no way bar uh, customers hits pre-COVID numbers right away. It's going to take years. So they're going to want to make money too. So how do we fit into all that? Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really weird timeline coming up. How do you... We're all just guessing. That's what's like, you can't try to figure any of this out. You don't know. Number one, you don't know when things are going to go back to normal, whatever that means. Um, Like it's just so hard to figure out how to even start to navigate some of this stuff. You're just, it's like something happens and you, you react. It's like this constant reaction to these things. And I, I don't know. I, 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 I definitely do not envy being in any of your shoes at this point because um, it's scary. It, I guess this is only like this is related, but kind of a side point. Something that's really been really cool about our online store is that we've we've always had pretty good penetration in the big metro areas. You know, the three C's, uh, Toledo, Dayton, a pretty good uh, amount of our beer in those markets, especially if you go to like an independent retailer, you're going to find our stuff. But what's really cool with this online store is most of our customers are coming from rural areas in Ohio. People who who may have had us before, but don't want to drive to Columbus every time they want to get beer. You know, it's 45 minutes away. So now it gives them the opportunity to buy our beer and get a direct ship. I just had no idea how much opportunity in rural America there is. The, The issue is just that like this small little independent shop in like Worcester, Ohio or something, doesn't want to carry three cases of our product because there might be two people in the whole city that want to drink it. But when you take two people from every tiny little city across the whole state, that's a shitload of customers. Uh, And it's been, it's been really cool to see. Does it create longer term? Does it create a whole new way of doing things? Um, Or could it for a brewery? I, I don't know if like that could exist if you weren't already a brewery that had already built some kind of, following somehow like i don't think that it could just start and you could just send this beer out all across ohio and be like here try our stuff order it online and like i don't think that would happen but because you guys you guys have already built this thing like if i lived in you know bobstown ohio you know way out in the middle of nowhere and i had had your beer i could get it at a local store i might have to drive an hour to get to it but they're not gonna. I can't get, um, you know, the the variants of Midwest fruit tarts sitting on a shelf there. I can't necessarily find the Dino beers sitting on a shelf there. Now I can just jump on the website and boom, it's right there and it's on my door. You know, <laughs> like it's sitting on my doorstep. That's exciting. If I if I lived somewhere like that, yeah, this is how I would want to get my beer from almost all of my favorite breweries, because it's unless I was going to the brewery, of course. But it's what? it changes things. It does. And, and you touched on a good point, too, in regards to if we, we I was talking about this earlier uh, this week with our brewers. Like if we if this happened when we were year one of our business, even year two, we'd be toast like that. That would be it because there's you're, we need the the social capital that we built the last five years in order to have the presence in the awareness and the knowledge where we can sell into these these people across mm-hmm. the state of Ohio. Because you're right, you can't just flick on the light switch and all of a sudden expect all these customers to be at your doorstep. It's just, it doesn't exist. And we're seeing it in these new states that we're opening. Like we open up Nebraska and North Dakota and Oregon. And yeah, we're getting some some orders from those places, but like people just don't know about us in those states. So it's going to take a long time for word of mouth to spread and for really us to get a good penetration. But because we already have that in Ohio, we ha- we're, we're lucky in that regards. We have the time. Is this something that's going to stick around after things go back to normal? That's out of the bag now, man. It's not. It's not going back in. Uh, there's just no damn way. It. It will be a pain point. I have a feeling. Uh, maybe not with us and our distributor because we've been very communicative the whole time with them right. from the beginning about what we were doing. And there might be need to be some concessions that need to be made in the future. But at this point in time, with the power that direct-to-consumer has for a brewery our size and what it allows us to do and the market allows us to reach that Cavalier can't reach because of these small cities, they just can't distribute to them. There's just, there's no damn way we're going back. There's no way. Uh, even, been- 
even on like a smaller scale, like from other breweries, like if you're a, a, a mad tree who is not direct shipping to customers, like if you want to do like an online only release, like in your store, drive people to your website to order a beer and then have it shipped right to your house. That's cool. Like that's a whole that's other, really it doesn't have to be like the way you do all of your stuff, but it can be like another little piece of this bigger puzzle and this bigger way to get beer to people that might not be able to make it out to stand in line for a release or might not be able to get to a store easily. Might not like it just opens the door to these other things that nobody was thinking about. I think the waiting in line for a beer release culture is dead after this. It's there's no way people are going to go back to waiting in line, taking off Thursday afternoon to drive to Columbus, Indiana to stay overnight and get your chance at a beer on a work day when you can just put it online and then you can work and just take 10 minutes out of work and wait till the website refreshes and buy it. You're right. This is, this is a game changer for, for so many breweries. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, who embraces this and who drags their feet on it. um, Whose distributors are friendly about it and understanding of it and whose distributors are not. (laughs) Um, Because I've already heard a few stories about some people that are not too happy about it, but um, it's just, we're entering into this whole, I think that when everything is said and done, this is going to be, um, I don't want to say it's going to be good for craft beer because short term, it's not going to be good for craft beer. But as far as this model of, of how things are done, um, people are getting scrappy again. And I think that in itself will be good for this industry at some point <laughs> once things start to get back to some kind of normal. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good way to put it. It is forcing an in invention and innovation like the industry hasn't seen in quite a while. It, it's pretty cool. I'm going to open my next beer. This is a dinosaur beer. Uh, Bapiosaurus, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, close enough. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> we uh, all say, it, like, the, the for as many brewers we have, uh, each one says it a different way, so I don't know. Um, talk about the the dinosaur beers. The I mean, we've definitely talked about the, uh, the idea of spontaneously fermented beer on the show before, but um, talk about how that all came about and, and, and why. Yeah, uh, Man, I wish, okay, so the dino beers are, like you said, are spontaneously fermented sours. Um, they're all barrel-aged. They're all fermented uh, with only wild yeasts and bacteria. Nothing's cultured or uh, really known to us. Um, and these are all about six pounds to seven pounds per gallon of fruit. So uh, getting close to button up on the edge of what can be legally considered beer rather than fruit, fruit wine. Um, that, I mean, that's it. That's them in the nutshell. So we really, we try to pull a lot of processes from natural wine making into this because it's, we're so far removed from aside from mashing from what beer making is with these dinosaur beers that we treat them more like wines than we do beers. And I think it's really helped, uh, us develop a really clean fermentation profile, even though it is wild yeast and bacteria, you're not getting all that crazy, funky, barn har- barnyardy, barnhousey Brett character. And that's all by design. Well, we want to keep it as dry and acidic and as wine-like as possible, but without getting funky. If there's anything I've learned over the past five years is as much as I love funky beers, customers don't like funk. And uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the dinos. It's just the biggest expression of the fruit character as we possibly can get into beer. I would be curious to try some of these uncarbonated and to see how close they do come to wine, because I feel like I could you could probably trick a lot of wine drinkers, the people who um, are normal wine drinkers into this. If it wasn't carbonated, as soon as it's carbonated, it kind of pushes it into this other place that people are um, expecting when it comes to beer, but um, they're, they're dry. They're, they're definitely fruity, but they um, um, it's not, I don't want to say it's not over the top because it is over the top fruity, but it's in a different way than I think you think when you think of a fruited beer, like everything you guys do. It's just, it's, um, they're all really well done. They're all fantastic. I have loved every single one of these beers that I've had. 
um, the uh, the one with the uh, the Balaton cherries, the Cytosaurus or whatever it is. Um, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal beer. And I've got Auto Cycle in the fridge too, and I almost cracked one open, but we did it like <laughs> depending on how you're listening to these, like one or two weeks ago or something on the show. Um, so I didn't want to back up shows next to each other drinking the same beer. Um, plus it's like what, 10% (laughs) (laughs) and it goes down really easy. I figured if I'm going to get anything done today, I probably shouldn't. So, um, this is my last dinosaur beer that's in my fridge right now. So I figured it's a good night to crack one open. We're Um, actually switching package formats on these moving forward too. Uh, we're going to multi packs of 187 mil sized bottles. So 6.3 ounces and we're going to do four packs. I like that um, a lot actually. Yeah. So a four pack would be the same as one seven fifty, but instead of getting just one bottle that you have to open, you can, you know, have four servings. I like that a lot. Um, the problem with a lot of beers like these is that I'll put them in the fridge and if I'm getting home on a Thursday night after work, I'll open the fridge and I see it there and I'm like, Oh, that sounds really good. I'm like, ah, oh, but it's, just a random Thursday. And what if I, you know, something else comes up, I'm not sitting there enjoying it. I'm you know, I never want to crack something open that is too special. <laughs> even if it's not, if you know, even if I've got a whole fridge full of it, it's yeah. too special to crack open just on a normal time. And so the smaller format, um, I think makes that easier for me. Cans make that easier for a lot of beers. You know, you've got people doing Imperial stouts and stuff in cans, which I love because it makes me drink them more than I would otherwise. Um, this is an awesome beer boysenberries uh yeah boysenberries are great uh a little bit more floral than a blackberry but they got a lot of the richness and they got the same like tartness that a raspberry has they're they're a phenomenal berry i'm really happy that we're able to get those how do you guys uh come up with what the next fruit that you might use is is it like uh do you have some big whiteboard with just a bunch of fruits written on it to to experiment with are you do you pilot all of this stuff in some regard before you roll it out into a beer yes and yes so we have we don't have a whiteboard but we have a a pinned slack uh channel uh for brainstorming and one is just literally all the different fruits that we want to try there's like i don't know 120 things on there and then what we'll do is try to source them every year. Some of them are a lot harder to get than others. And every, every year we remake dinos, we throw in and make more with different fruits uh, just to see what turns out. So this past year we did uh, apricots, pineapple, kiwi, plantains. Um, there's two other things, aronia berries and something else. I don't remember strawberry. But all of them, three of them were dumpers. They just didn't turn like kiwi. You ferment out kiwi. It just doesn't taste like much. It just kind of tastes tart and vaguely fruity. That's really disappointing because that was out of all the things you named. That was the one I got the most excited about. <laughs> yeah, we used so much kiwi and it just didn't turn out. Um, the pineapple was just, it just doesn't work on its own. It was fine. But like, that's what ended up being um, the, uh, pineapple brulee the mm-hmm. that we did that was that it was supposed to be a dino but it wasn't dino level fruitiness so we uh spiced it up a little bit and turned it into the brulee uh the cocoa cover plantain that just came out that was our plantain one we were expecting more out of that plantain but we turned that into an epicurean instead the apricot was a dumper uh just didn't taste good i don't know why we apricots are so good and paperweight's great so uh, and long story short, yes, yes, we have a huge list of fruits. Yes, we try them out, but we usually do like one barrel's worth. And if it's not good, we'll dump it. Or if it's not good enough for a dinosaur beer, we'll blend it into something else and turn it into a different one. Uh, we tried carrot like every year for the past three years, and we just can't figure it out. <laughs> so we're just not going to do carrot anymore. Uh, yeah. Where do things go for you guys? Uh, Aside from this whole coronavirus thing, because I know everything is kind of, again, adaptation is the the key word with all of this. But um, looking bigger picture, this where do you guys are playing around with some really fun stuff? You've got the uh, the the wine beer hybrid things with the the grapes. Um, I don't what do you, what are those? Do you have a name for them? Brute fruit tart. Brute, that's right. Brute fruit tarts. You guys have that whole line that. Um, I've talked to a lot of people that are absolutely in love with those things. Um, 
where do you go as far as product lines and how you keep innovating and keep kind of making things exciting for you guys instead of just rolling out a bunch of uh, Midwest fruit tarts every day? Well, I mean, the Midwest fruit tarts are the are the, are the big driver for our sales. They're like 50% of our business. Um, but what, what we really, we just try to stick within that real fruit, sour beer kind of um, arena that we're playing in. And grapes was that the brew fruit tarts was just a natural extension on, well, what if we just use a shitload of grapes and like winemakers can do it? Why can't we? And then we'll cut it down and we see how it goes. And it went really well. Uh, there's the, the that line's going to take a couple years to really catch on because you're right. The people who try it freaking love it. Uh, but it's just it's a weird. It's new. It's small cans. You know, it's a little bit pricier. It's 12 percent ABV. It's all these things that are like. Should I or shouldn't I? Do I want to take the risk as a consumer? But when people do take that risk, they really like it. So we're going to spend the next couple of years really trying to make that work because I think it has huge potential. Um, outside of that, in the Midwest fruit tarts and the gozas, the next two things I'm working on are uh, uh, a light fruit tart. So I, I don't know what the timeline is on this one. Oh, you'll probably see a couple of releases this year, but it's like, 3.8 to 4% ABV, uh, 100 calories, basically a, a Midwest fruit tart light, so to speak, but branded as a light fruit tart. Right. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, the product tastes good and it's fruity and it's light. And I don't like, it's not a seltzer. It's not going to be playing as a seltzer. I don't really want to go for the, the, the active athletic thing. But for me, it's just a fun thing where like, I can't crush the gadget all day on a Saturday while I'm doing yard work. Cause I'll be on the ground. Uh, <laughs> it's too, it's too strong. But if I had like a 4% version that I could just sit there and crush, um, and go about my day, that's kind of, that's kind of the goal for us. Um, and since it is real fruit and everything, the price point will be like eight ninety nine a four pack. Uh, so not super cheap, but not too expensive, less than 10 bucks. So I, I don't really know. Um, there's going to be a lot of testing going on with that, but I, I'm really excited for where that goes. And then the other thing is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> where we're releasing these line of beers. Uh, I guess they don't really have a name uh, as far as like stylistically goes, but they're like 16% ABV fruit wine beer hybrids. And that's what blue was. Right. Um, and so our plan before things hit the fan was that we were going to release this product line with the Cincinnati Observatory, do a huge blowout party in July. Um, and the, the whole premise of the beer is based around using ingredients that you would find when you're going into space. So um, that's how you get it so punched up ABV-wise. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I, you said you didn't try that one, but like I the flavor, <laughs> the flavor is like nothing I've ever had. It is insane in the color saturation. It hurts. It almost hurts your eyes to look at it in person. It's really weird. <laughs> uh, it's so damn good. And I'm so excited for what's going to happen with that. And to, I guess to copy out of like a local competitions playbook, like we'll, we'll probably treat it similar to like Matry's high series where, We'll do a couple drops a couple times a year and that'll be about it. And it will just be this special limited thing. The ingredients are not cheap. So it's going to be like $25 a four pack for eight ounce cans. But um, I think if you keep it special and limited and small batch, I think people are really going to lose their damn minds over it. Well, and you've, you've seen that you've played around in that world of creating a product that may be a little more expensive than what people are um, expecting when they look at a, a shelf full of, other beer. Um, but it's been pretty clear that if the product is good and people want it, then they're okay with that on occasion to buy that. It's not going to be their everyday thing, but I think that's what, that's also part of what makes you guys special is that every one of your beers feels special when you, when you open it up, even if it's Finn or spyglass or whatever it is, one of those beers that you can just grab a six pack and crush it while you're mowing the grass. It still feels different than anything else that is, um, that is on the shelf around it, which is a really hard thing to do and a really difficult line to, to tow. 
um, especially in a world right now where all hell is breaking loose and people yeah. <laughs> don't know what to do. <laughs> and it's you guys somehow just keep making it work and feel natural. And um, I, I don't know how you do it because it's, you know, you, you, I'm sure you heard it from day one. People told you that this whole idea couldn't work in a city like Cincinnati. And yet so here much. everything keeps working. My family even told me that. <laughs> oh, you're crazy. Sour on the brewery? No. <laughs> Who drinks sour first, beer? <laughs> I mean, for the first year we were going, our distributor was like, you guys need to make an IPA. You need to make an IPA. You need to make an IPA. No, we're not doing that. Uh, so we did end up making that <laughs> phrenology, but like, we're not making just a standard IPA. And it didn't work because it's not, I think ultimately what you're saying is it comes down to uh, authenticity of our brand and like, our, our wild IPA didn't work because that's not really what our brand was. And our sour IPAs didn't work because that's not really what our brand was. I was so proud of Gaslight. That beer was great for what it was. But at the end of the day, people just want real fruit sour beer from us. And that's it. So we'll do – the good thing, too, is there's there's millions of fruits out there or whatever. So we got plenty of opportunity and plenty of fun things we can constantly do. And, hell, we got the double Midwest fruit tart line that we're expanding. Uh, I just bought a new tank last week. Got it installed on Friday. Uh, I think I saw it sitting behind the brewery when I drove by the other day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Everybody else is terrified about everything, and you've got a new tank sitting in the street. <laughs> let's let's talk about that just a little bit too. You guys uh, were were very open and um, communicating with everybody when people noticed Spyglass had a different state written on the label, and you talked oh, about yeah. contract brewing and kind of the decisions that went into. Um, into that side of things. And instead of dumping a bunch of money and, uh, or borrowing a bunch of money to create, um, uh, you know, the space to be able to keep growing the way you guys were, it made more sense to contract brew. Uh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've talked to a couple of places though, you know, um, Sonder was on the show maybe a month or so ago and talked about how the week before all of this happened, they were about ready to, push the button to order a bunch of new fermenters and have a new bunch of new fermenters come in and thank God. And like there's, there are several other places that have been um, doing a little bit of contract brewing, uh, even if it's just on a local level, I don't think they want to talk about it yet, but um, thank God. Like that's this, just these little decisions can affect so much. And I don't know if it's just pure, absolute luck that it's worked out the way it has or if you guys have some kind of crystal ball or what but it just seems to work out exactly like it 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 should for you guys well this was all by design like the the contract thing this that's exactly why we went the contract brewing route was our first two years of business uh the the debt we had to pull take on to even start the company almost crushed us with the the monthly payments and we're like, we're not doing that again. This market is getting crazy saturated. There's breweries everywhere. Contract brewing pricing is at an all-time low. The stigma is basically gone with that. There's some holdouts who think contract brewers can't do a good job. I'll tell you what, those guys at Octopi can probably make beer better than I can because they have state-of-the-art equipment. So, like, they have every single toy I ever wanted and I can implement and use and tell them how to brew exactly as I would brew if I had my dream system. So to me, it's perfect. And then if there is an issue like the pandemic, then you just stop contract brewing. I'm out no money. I have what, you know, inventory I had brewed, but like, that's it. And so for us, our business went down 40% overnight with the on-premise stuff, but my business grew 50% with the contract brewing. So I just stopped contract brewing and now I'm at full capacity still in my brew house. So I'm still making all my payments. I'm still doing well financially and when we're sitting pretty and uh, my heart really goes out to places like Wolf's Ridge who just bought that big ass fucking facility from four string that closed. Yeah. They have capacity yeah. for like 20,000 barrels. There's no way they're making 20,000 barrels right now. Not during this. So like shit, that stuff's not free and like banks want their money. Like they might be nice for a couple of months, but eventually those chickens are going to come home to roost and the, 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 the market's not going to bounce back right away. So uh, I feel pretty good about the contract thing. And as soon as things open back up and once uh, we're showing positive growth again, uh, we're going to, we'll go right back to contract brewing. Uh, I don't see any reason not to. 
I agree a hundred percent. I, um, I know that there are probably breweries in town that wish they had done that a little more than what, what, what they had did. And, um, it's, it, it is, it's terrifying to, to think about this overall scene and the places you mentioned Wolf's Ridge. There are plenty of places that are similar to that, that have expanded because it made sense um, because business said that's what you were supposed to do. And now they're looking at it and they've got to be sweating a little bit. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what things are going to look like when we return back to some kind of normalcy. Um, what are, how, how do we bounce back from this? What does this look like in, in your opinion? I mean, we, we, we don't, that's the thing. We just, we don't bounce back. It's not, it it will never be the same. Like it'll be so long until it's the same again. Anyone who is planning their business around it being back to quote unquote normal within a year is going to have a real hard time. If these places aren't planning like on premise when it comes back, isn't like 25% of what it was, they're going to struggle. It's always safer it's always safer to plan and bet on things not getting better. And then if things do get better, that's just an easy win for you. But if things don't get better, there's just no, like if you're planning on it getting better and that's the only thing that's going to save your business, then you're fucked. Like you're just totally fucked. You're already screwed. Just shut it down now. Uh, So I don't know the specifics. What I I can tell you what we're going to do is, is we're going to, our whole strategy up to this point was slow growth focus on education, focus on customer understanding, don't sell our product into places where it doesn't belong so we can have retailers and bar staff and servers who like our products and want to sell it. And that's really helped us this first five years get to a point where people do understand what we're doing and understand our beers and why our products are at a premium and all that good stuff. We did all that by not focusing on chain placement. So not getting more Kroger stores open, not getting more gas stations open, not getting a lot of these other stores where you really start moving volume open. We've been getting to the volume that we're getting at like 10,000 barrels just through focusing on independence. Um, But unfortunately that's hurting us now because all these independents are closing or slowing down. And most of the beer growth is going through chain. So it sucks for us right now, but my plan and Scotty's plan once we reopen is going to be double down on the chain side of things, keep our strategy in place on the saturation with the independent, but we really need to get that chain placement going to take us to the next level. So that that's, that's our current plan. And I, and that if that's the case on premise could never regain for us, but we should be able to see enough gains through off premise consumption and customers that it'll take us to the next level regardless. It's just, it's such a different world. I mean, you talk about the, uh, uh, the brute fruit tarts, which are so hard to describe what they are. And even in, even in a store that is, uh, you know, you know, the store that's closest to me that I do a lot of my shopping at, they're tucked away on a shelf with all the other beer, which is the worst spot in the world for them to be because people over there are looking for beer and people who are looking for wine or over here looking for wine. And it needs to be right in the middle of these things or have somebody that is there explaining to everybody what these things are. And, and, and that doesn't happen in, in chains. That doesn't happen in these big places. There is no person walking around in the beer department explaining things to people, teaching people, educating, you know, the, the consumers even aren't browsing in the beer department and hanging out, you know, like you don't have that conversation happening around the products. And I think for you guys, even for your, your, you know, your, your normal stuff, it, there's a conversation that happens around it that makes, makes it what it is. It's not just a beer that's on a shelf. It's, it's something else around that. And I think that that's really tough to imagine on a, on a Kroger shelf or whatever it is and how that, how that translates. Not that, yeah, not that you guys won't figure it out. Cause I have, you know, I have lots of faith in what you guys do and it'll be interesting to see what products are um, more popular in places like that versus uh, an independent store. Ultimately for us, I mean, you're right. You're hundred percent right. It's super impersonable. People don't give it much time or thought. They kind of 
blast through and they look for something that they know or catches their eye and they grab it and go. Uh, so for us, it's going to be, it's going to be just doubling down on the same tactics marketing wise that has always worked for us in that we don't really ever have anything with marketing and our whole thing is always liquid to lips. I am a thousand percent confident I'm making the best liquids for what we're doing in the country. If not the world, depending on what review site you look at and our ratings, uh, it's there. We're doing it. And what's always worked for us is get people to try the product. Then they like it. Then they become buyers. And we see a strong level of customer loyalty, too, because there's not a lot of people doing what we're doing. There's not a lot of people making these overfruited, dry sours at the price points we're making them. They're either hyper expensive, like Jester King, which is amazing beers, but very expensive, or like they're fake flavorings and they're cheap, just fucking bullshit lagers with blueberry flavoring in them or whatever. So we're in this weird thing where customers don't know what we are, but as soon as they try it, they like it. So our whole plan is get in there more keep consistent with what we're offering. So get more gadget chain placement, get spyglass out there and get the gozes out there and then just sample the shit out of our beers. Just set up samplings every fucking week and just hammer it, hammer it, hammer it. And hopefully word of mouth takes it because that's, that's really been the only thing we're good at. Like no, no offense to, to Hannah, who is our new marketing person we hired in January. She's been doing amazing, but we have not had any marketer before that ever. Uh, and we just, uh, thankfully our liquid sells itself. So that's our whole goal. Get liquid to lips and people will buy the product. Well, that's, what's so crazy is, you know, when, when, if I sat down with a lot of family members that I have, a lot of the older generation and things like that, and, and mentioned that you guys make sour beer, they would turn up their nose like, Oh God, I don't like that stuff. And I just give me my, give me my little Kings or my burger or whatever, you know, that's, that's what they want. But if you put a key punch in front of them and just have them drink it, they're going to freaking love that beer. And it's like, it's so hard to communicate that to people unless you just pour it down their mouth. (laughs) What is it about the boomer aged white male that's so hesitant about sour fruit beer. And then when they try it, they fucking love it. (laughs) Every person, every person, you're right. It's crazy. It's probably the same thing that's wrong with me and seltzer. It's like, it's not that I don't enjoy drinking the product in the right situation. It's that I don't want to enjoy it. You know what really sold me on the fact that seltzers are never going away was I went to a friend of a friend's 30th birthday party. So there's people there from age like 27 up to like 32. Um, The only fucking beers at this party, 50 people there, literally the only beers there were seltzers and fucking sour beer. I swear (laughs) to God, that was it. Like, all sorts of different sours, all sorts of different seltzers, but there wasn't a fucking IPA anywhere to be seen. And like that just like set in stone in my mind, like one seltzers are never going away. And two sour beers are going to come and they're going to stick around. And we haven't even come come close to peaking yet for where sour can be in this country. It's going to be a monolithic beer category in another 10 years. I, th- I agree 100%. I, I look at some of the styles that are around, to be it the pastry stouts or whatever it is, and they're popular and people are going nuts about them, but it's it's a trend. It's like a thing that it it's not like this, not that they won't be around, but they'll be like the black IPA where, the, yeah, they're still here, but they're not a a contender in this the, this overall market. I don't see that with sour beer. I think I would have answered that differently before you guys opened, I think I saw sour beer as a as a trendy type of drink. Not that I didn't like it, I just didn't think it had the uh, not not that it didn't have the staying power because it obviously does. It's been around forever. But um, five years ago, you didn't know. But it it, it, it I would have I would have put it in a very different category than what I do now. I think that um, sour beer, which in itself is a is a broad category. Um, stands right alongside loggers or, you know, again, that's not fair because loggers is such a huge category. <laughs> I mean, you see where I'm going with it though. It, it stands as, as a, an actual segment of beer, not just a, a small little offshoot style thing that people drink because it's, uh, it's trendy or it's hard to get, or it's fun or whatever it is. It's, it's a real thing. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I might've told you this already. 
before, but uh, higher gravity tracks what their best-selling products are by stylistic category. And basically every month since they opened, it's IPAs by a massive margin, always IPAs. IPAs sell better for them uh, dollar-wise than anything else. Number one category. But in July of 2019, the number one category, sours. <laughs> Sour beer outsold every single other style of beer in their entire store, even IPAs. And if that's not telling of a change that's to come, granted, that's anecdotal and it's one data point. But holy shit, that's crazy. It's also not fair because that's right in the middle of pickle and key punch season. <laughs> <laughs> that helped. <laughs> uh, even today. So I was at the grocery store this morning uh, doing my weekly shopping trip with uh, my mask on. It has a majestic eagle on it. It's fantastic. You would, you would love seeing me in public with this thing. Um, and I was in the beer department and I was grabbing a couple, a uh, couple six packs of stuff. And there was a, a, a family there shopping, which number one, don't shop with your family, go by yourself with it. I don't know why I've said, but, um, and they were looking and they were looking for a, a beer and they were looking in the little tiny cold case that the, the jungle gyms has. And there was like one six pack of urban beer in there. And it was, I don't know, spyglass or something like that. And they're like, Oh, that's not it. And I said, Oh, you guys looking for urban? And they say, yeah. And I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's around the corner. And I showed them where it was and they were kind of looking and you could tell they weren't finding what they wanted. And I said, are you looking for something specific? She said, yeah, it's my son's birthday. And he really likes this pickle beer. And I said, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, it's fantastic. But you got to wait till the summer. <laughs> pickle man, I would never guess people like pickles that much. It is crazy. People, I don't think people like pickles that much. That I still don't think people like pickles that much. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know what it is about that beer, but I think even people that don't like pickles fall in love with what that beer is. <laughs> it's crazy. It's really crazy. But, you know, those, again, those are things that you can't really predict. They're things that just, um, you create something and it's fun and people go nuts and it sticks around. You can't build your business on something like that if you want to sustain in the long term. but when it happens, it feels real good. Right. <laughs> what are some of the other things that have happened like that for you guys that you, you didn't anticipate that just, um, people latched onto? Uh, well, there's a lot of negatives ones where I thought people would latch onto that didn't like the wild IPA or Saison's and the like clothesline. I don't know if you remember that beer, but I love that. And it just didn't stick. Uh, I think the, I mean, the Midwest fruit tarts, obviously, but that's, that's spawned its whole other thing. And it's not quite the same fervor as like pickle is. Um, I think the only other thing that really stands close to pickle and it's not in terms of volume, it's just in terms of how much people get excited about it and love it. It's probably the Halloween beers, um, both of which the Halloween beers and pickle start as a joke. Right. Uh, and they both are really a big thing. And, and the Halloween beers, we didn't do them this past year just because it's so much labor intensive work for us and we just couldn't handle it. Um, but yeah, that, that was the other one that we, we really see people get super excited about. And it's a lot of fun when someone drinks a toothpaste flavored beer to see their reaction. <laughs> Um, I think the most fun about the Halloween beers <clears throat> is not just getting the uh, the twelve pack and, and going home. It's the fact that you can get the bucket of the beers there in the tap room, sit around a table with you know three or four of your friends back when we could do that, and <laughs> and just like drinking through them all and like you know that first person to try one and watching their face and seeing if it's something that's good or something that's bad or something that's confusing or <laughs> you know and then that argument of what is it you know it's yes, yes. so much fun but it's something that gets lost so much with craft beer these days is that act of sitting around a table and sharing beer and just like laughing about it and trying things that aren't good, trying things that you don't <laughs> like just experimenting and playing around with stuff that, um, people take this all too seriously now, um, at the end yeah. of the day. And I know it's not fair for me to say this because I am not in the business. I don't have my livelihood wrapped up in it, but it is just beer at the end of the day. This is Beer. Yep. It's something that is just, it's so much, it's supposed to be so much fun. And um, it's really easy sometimes to get caught up in all this other bullshit that surrounds it and forget that we're just drinking beer together. And like, that's a, that's a really important thing within uh, culture, within 
it, it might be it might be a little too high horse to say, but but in in humankind, like this act of sitting around and drinking together is so important. Do you think we get that back after this COVID stuff dies down? I do, but I think I think the tables get bigger. We just don't sit as close together. But we are. I, I you you can't take it away. It can't go away. Even even this act of people sitting and having virtual happy hours over Zoom is just this desperate attempt to try to hang on to that act yeah. of drinking together. It doesn't go away. You can't take it away from people. The we're we're all a bunch of drunks at heart. It will come back. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when, but it will come back. Do miss drinking a pint at the bar? I miss it so much. I I didn't know how big of a part of my life it was until all of this <laughs> happened. And like I I just we're all ready to kill each other in this house. <laughs> what, what about on the uh, the industry side? Do you do you see the camaraderie and friendliness that like I feel like existed really strongly like four or five years ago? Do you think that comes back stronger too? I do. I think th- I think this is a reminder to people of what it's all about. The people that were starting to get a little a uh, little too hoity toity are now it's a smack in the back of the head and be like, remember what this is, this is really about. Like, you know, at, at any moment, all hell can break loose and you can still make that phone call to the people down the street from you and say, dude, what do I do? (laughs) And they, that, that still exists. I think it's a reminder of that it's, and again, just that scrappiness of what craft beer was, this brings us back to that. And, um, and kind of straightens us out a little bit. And I don't mean to, to, to play, you know, with it lightheartedly because I know that there are a lot of people that are going to be hurting really bad after all of this, but, um, or just don't exist after all of this. And that, you know, that sucks. And I don't like that side of what this is, but again, I think that this will be good for the industry. And I think that this will be good for beer at some point. You know, I, I kind of thought the opposite when I asked you that question, but after hearing you say that, like, I, I think you're right, actually, that in like, there, it is tragic that we're going to lose a lot of breweries because of this, but there's something to be said about a shared intense, even if it's intensely bad experience that yeah. I, I think you're right. It's going to bring the breweries that survive. I think it's going to bring them back together closer than we were at the beginning of this. And even if a brewery doesn't survive, so if, and and this is a terrible hypothetical, if you lost your brewery tomorrow, it complete, it didn't work. You guys, you got it. You shut down. Would you just completely leave beer? Would you never make another beer in your life? No, beer's my passion. I immediately look for a job in beer. Exactly. I'm not doing anything else. I think that even the places that shut down, you're not. That's not the last you'll hear from these people if they are have that passion behind it. Which I I still firmly believe that the majority of people in this industry have that passion. I've met a few that don't, but. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I think the majority do. Yeah, and there, you, you're right. There's going to be, man. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of really good, experienced brewers out there looking for jobs when this is all done. And there's going to be a lot of cheap equipment out there when this is all done too, which are bad things in which they come from, but they're good things for those who who make it through. Right. Uh, I guess bad for equipment suppliers, but <laughs> I think that the writing's been on the wall for them for a little while that they needed to uh, to be ready for something to happen. Um, there's been a lot of cheap equipment around for a while. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that's you know that's what happens. Um, we'll get there. We'll we'll. I think things will be all right. Now you, it it it's a roller coaster for me. You ask me right now, and I'm really optimistic, but that's because I'm drinking Midwest fruit tarts and uh, barely <laughs> beer. Um, but I, I, I will get there. We will get everybody, you know, the, the, the cheesy thing to say right now is that we'll all get through it together and we will though. Like that's, that's so true through all of this. We'll get through it together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, that's it. It's a show. That was a good one. It was fun. Uh, what do you want people to know about urban artifact today that you think they don't know? Uh, uh, I, I can be brusque until you know me. So I <laughs> apologize to anyone I was an asshole to. Even uh, once you know you, I think it's possible. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, but if you're not familiar with our brand, like I said, like we were talking about earlier, 10 minutes ago, 
just try the beer. It's everything we do is just real fruit. It's all sour beer, but you wouldn't think you don't think wine sour and you're not going to think our, our beer sour. It's just nothing but good shit. Uh, and we're trying to be as transparent and honest as we can making the best possible beer we can at the literally the best price I can sell it at. I know it might seem like a high price, but I, the value for our, our products is just, it's something I've been proud of since the first day we opened. I think we do a really good job of offering a world-class level product for an extremely affordable price. Um, so I guess that's it. It's, it's fantastic stuff. I definitely, uh, vouch for almost every urban artifact beer I've had toothpaste, maybe not, but <laughs> I, I really love what you guys are doing and you continuously, uh, just keep impressing me with what those, what that next thing is. And I can't wait to see what the future has for a place like urban artifact and for what you do to this industry around you, you are spawning a new generation of people that think about things differently. And that's a very valuable thing that, um, we're going to reap the benefits of for, for reap the benefits of for years to come. So thank well, you thanks. for that. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, it's a quick side note. We should uh, link up again around Christmas time. Cause we're going hard this year on Christmas beers again. Fantastic. I'm all about that. <laughs> We will. I, I assume that we'll see each other before Christmas. I hope so. Although I don't know, with a baby in my house, I might just be like holed up in the corner sobbing for the next how many months. <laughs> That's what's so messed up about all of this is that I was ready once the baby came to have to do some shows holed up in the basement like this. I was ready for that. I was ready for taking a couple weeks where I wasn't able to go to a tap room and sit at the bar and, and have a beer with people. I was ready for it. I wasn't ready for it to happen in March. <laughs> and then as soon as it starts going back to some kind of normalcy, it was right when this baby's here and I can't, <laughs> I wasn't ready for six months of my life to be spent in the basement. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. Here we are. That's the, it's my motto these days. <laughs> um, Brett, thank you very much. Um, thank you for creating these beers that I absolutely love and keep up the good work. And if anybody has not had Urban Artifact, I don't know who's listening to the show that hasn't had Urban Artifact, but you can get it delivered right to your doorstep. Just get on their website. There's a store and there's lots of really good shit on there that you can get right to your doorstep. Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. 